Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Carol Sanford is an award-winning business educator, podcaster, and author. Her books are required business school reading at both Stanford and Harvard. For 40 years, she's collaborated with organizational teams of entrepreneurial businesses and Fortune 500 companies to realize their inherent capabilities. Her A-rated, highly interactive workshops inspire and instruct businesses to reimagine their way of working. Carol, thank you for being on our show today. Oh, you're so welcome, Denise. Thanks for inviting me. So we, like always, I speak to my guests ahead of time just so I can can get an idea of what they do. But I'd like you to share that a little bit with our audience. You you have a lot of things that you do. First of all, I know you're an author. You also have an action learning and research institute. Can you just kind of, in a nutshell, talk to us a little bit about what you do? Yeah, no, it's hard. You have to understand that what I'm working on, no matter where I have these arenas, is the ability and capacity for people to have consciousness, to be awake, to be doing what will make not only the world work for them and their business and their family, especially in small businesses, but also for the communities in which they live. So I call myself an educator. I'm not a consultant. I don't go say to people, here, do this, do that. Let me critique you. Instead, I teach people through a variety of formats with others in the room. So I may have 10 to 12 companies in a year-long process. So you're collaboratively learning, but you're learning how to think and generate your own ideas. So that might be the core of what I do. Perfect. And again, like I said, you do that in a lot of different ways. And, And when you and I spoke, you spoke a lot about instead of seeing problems, leading others by seeing their essence. What does that mean? Yeah, no, it's, you know, you hear being a small business owner, you hear all the time, do what you're best at, right? And that's good advice. But what's even better advice is be who you are. So let me give a little background on that. I believe that we have two natures of who we are. One is our personality. And if all goes well, most of it works for us, right? There's often parts of the personality get in our way. But if you get, you you grow up and mature, you're able to use that. But there's something else you have, which, because personality is socialized, it's learned from family, et cetera. Essence is you probably from birth. I mean, you know, we're often uh, looking at children and saying they're going to be X when they grow up. And sometimes it's because of what they're doing. But for example, people said about me, boy, she's going to be a contrarian forever. And they are right. And it turns out if you learn how to understand what your essence is, and I write about this in some of my books, you would discover that in my case, my primary essence has disrupt certainty. Because if you're certain, you're attached, you're identified with it, and you can't change And we all know in the last year, if you don't have the ability to change, you can't get anywhere. But the best place to change from is your essence. 
So I didn't stop being a contrarian that disrupted certainty and built the capacity for discernment, but I shifted how I was working because I did a bunch of free morning meetings because I knew people needed that. And my desire is to grow people. But I didn't say, all right, we've got a pandemic. I'm now got to change everything and do still try and do what I'm doing. I said, who am I? And what is it about the core of me, the essence of me that could be done differently? And boy, did I have to break lots of ideas about how I'd been doing it, but I never dropped out be who I am. So that's what I mean by essence. So it sounds a little bit to me like essence kind of boils down to your why also. Nope. 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 A lot of people go there. Why is why out in the world you're doing something? It's all, it's like people say, oh, you mean purpose? And I said, nope, because essence doesn't predict the doing. It has maybe nothing, no matter where you go, family, whatever you do, this is a core that runs through you. So my, I I don't even think about it in terms of what my why is. I kind of dislike how people uh, misuse that idea. It is something deeper than that. When I say disrupt certainty, I did it with my father, who was very racist. And you would not say that's a part of my why, right? The why had to do probably with something out there that has to do with fairness and wholeness. And that's a useful thing. But how I do things is more what essence is, because many people would be working on the same why, but no one will be doing it the way you do. And it takes learning to get behind and behind and behind. You have to look at the doing. And then you might even ask why that. But you start to ask how. How was I doing that? How in my own, how do I talk me through things? I I notice I have to do a lot of inner, well, mindfulness of inner conversations. We all have inner conversations. (laughs) But learning to notice them and change them when they need to be changed is a really important thing. So it's it's different than, than the why or the purpose, but necessary too, or will improve how you can do your why. Perfect. So it sounds like you, as a natural contrarian, <laughs> you mentioned to me that you also challenged the idea of perfect. And oh, recommend that people get set outside of that. Well, the way we have structured things in the Western world, for sure, and I think it's spilled over everywhere, is by categories. We fragment. We can't see a whole child. We see whatever problem they've got, whatever challenge they're facing, wherever their strengths and weaknesses are, we get to divide them up. That comes from a drive through the way we do science to put everything in a category. So Denise, we would look at you and we would find what category, what type are you, where do you fit? Now comes the problem of perfection because the box of your category has a perfect way to do that or it's prescribed in some way. It's called core competencies in a big business. Uh, If you get attached to that kind of category 
and what other people say you don't fit within. I, I've watched this happen so much in companies where people do feedback and you have gone through some kind of assessment and you're assumed to meet certain kind of competencies. And then people will give you feedback on your imperfections at meeting that. That has nothing to do with who you are. Your essence is who you are. And I do a lot of work. My third book is filled with one chapter called 30 Toxic Practices. And they're toxic because they try and perfect your personality and corporate or business setting or social fix. And they don't work on helping you develop and express essence. So you need to design work, not so anybody gets to do what they want, but each person, whether it's the three people in your small business, the three family members, are each able to bring something to what you've collectively agreed the business is going toward. It now becomes really hard to get stuck in, I've got to do this perfect. Although if you've been raised that way, it'll take a while. Um, so I want people expressing that essence towards something. And I always say practice imperfectly because the good news is there is no real perfect and it will stop you being you. Does that make sense? It does. I So <clears throat> kind of circling back to this idea of of getting away from perfect. And so let me tell you, share with you something that I did in my company. We, and this is recent, like within the last couple of weeks or so, we have job descriptions, just like every other company has. I noticed one of my team leaders was, you know, struggling to be within that, but there's something she's really amazing at. So the conversation has been started over the last week or so, like, hey, let's evolve your position into what your sweet spot is. Because those things over here, you do really, really well. And part of it is leadership, but it's a little bit more, was it was faceted, faceted is, the, is a good yeah. word. It's a little bit more faceted than just leadership. So, so we're evolving some things and we've had this conversation in our team also like, you know, what is this person's sweet spot? What is this person's sweet spot? So is that kind of what you're talking about there? Nope, I'm no. still off mark. <laughs> Well, you're not necessarily off the mark. I have a different meaning for what I'm saying. And I love that you have that kind of flexibility and fluidity. But what I'm talking about is inviting people to create a regular promise beyond ableness, which is not necessarily, usually is an addition to, but you stop doing some of what you do. So you're not changing your job, job description and moving, you're creating an organization which says there is no one who would be bound by the role they have. And your job is to watch what we're all doing, know our customers, know our market, and know them very specifically. I talk about buyer nodes, which are different than uh, markets or niches. They are, we know specific customers so well, I see that they need something. So I worked for quite a while with um, the little company that Lowe's owned, Orchard Supply Hardware. And we developed a set of buyer classes. And one of them was uh, the do-it-yourselfer. And another one was wanting expert opinion. We got to know them and everybody watched them. And people would come in who were on the front line and they would say, you know, 
I'm watching and we don't do something as a company that's within our, our mission, our direction, what we say we're going to do. And I would like to invent a way to do that. I don't know exactly how to do it right now. I call them in my third book, Promises Beyond Ableness. I don't exactly know how to do it, but our client needs this. And I I would be within a team who would be helping understand those customers. And I'd say to them, I want to take this on in this way. I think it'll take this much time. I'm going to have to learn certain things. Uh, it might cost a little money for us to get this up and running. Can I get authorization to do that? Now, I'll make sure my work is covered. Nothing there will get lost. But this is a kind of push or a step that someone initiates themselves, which serves the business. And then they steward it until it's done. And then they pick another one. And everyone in the organization is initiating. Now, you have to have a kind of infrastructure to do this. You, most people can't just overnight go do that. You have to be developing people to think about, I'm always working for our customers beyond what I know how to do, behind, beyond what our customer does. That's a culture creation. So I would think it'd be fun if you play just a little bit with what would our culture look like? And it wouldn't necessarily be, I, I help people get rid of job descriptions <laughs> and instead and have groups decide what the work is to be done. Assume it can change weekly or daily, maybe morning meetings or maybe annually, you don't know. But the real thing the culture wants to do is activate what you're doing for this one person and maybe even the team but instead of, uh, I'm going to use a word which I don't think you're doing, but I watch many, which is rigidly expand their job description. And by rigidly, I mean it's coming from some collective. Now, let me tell you why this is important. I want essence to come forward. Essence comes forward only when it's initiating, when it's showing initiative, when it's making a commitment to something really matters and the will rises to do that. So if you just say, we're going to change what you do, you don't necessarily awaken essence. You've not, because essence has to almost every day, certainly every week has to be thinking about what else could our company be doing? What, what else could I take on that I can see is really needed and it may never get done if I don't do it. And I step up to that. Can you feel that difference? And what do you, do you see a value in that? Oh yeah, I definitely see a value in that. And I think as far as my team member, the conversation did go more that direction, what right. you're describing. However, this, this would be my concern as a business owner with yeah. that type of culture. How do you keep your service offers offerings and products so they don't get out of whack, you know, like, no. you know how people, you know, they offer a lot of different things and we have a very broad width of services we offer. You know, I shudder to think of adding any more, to be honest with you. Right. So you, you don't have it. Anyone can do what they want. You have a clear corporate direction. You know what you're about. You have a strategic thrust. You know who the specific customers are you're working for. Secondly, you've set up, and I talk about this in the regenerative business, you set up what are called market field teams or customer field teams or something that everybody is on one looking at a, a, a class or node of customers. And so all your customers are being studied. 
when you have an idea, you don't go implement, you take it to the market field team. You say, this is how I'm thinking about it. Here's how I think it fits with our corporate direction. Here's where I think it would, and I teach people to have everyone understand earnings, margins, and cash flow so that they can say, here's what this is going to produce for the customer in terms of their change in the value. And here's what it's going to bring back to us. And that market field team is also a venture capital team. And they have so much money allocated to go after things. And many of them cost nothing to go do for a customer. But it's not necessarily a new product or service. It may be. It's more often how we're doing something, like changing how it is we uh, respond in our customer service calls change in how we design because one specific customer needs something else. So it's not a proliferation process. It's not even a participation process. It's a strategic movement towards something that's precise for a specific customer that would change how we do some things. If it's a new product, then now you put together a team and you've got a team who are probably... and the people on that will be the person who thought of it because they're working closely as a, say, salesperson. But they are going to work with R&D people if you're a big company or the executive team. So you're, what you're fostering is initiative, not necessarily independent action. It's initiative within the context of a business direction and thinking with some other people, but all of that is managed by the person who initiates. And the other thing I will say last, you can't go do this, quote, do it. Uh, and I, I, you have to start building a culture. That's why what I am is an educator. And you have to build a way of working. You have to build different kind of infrastructure, like that core team that I talked about. And what a promise beyond ableist looks like in a write-up. And how it is you engage, you have to build all that. Or otherwise, what you're doing is just creating what people call the inmates running the asylum, right? <laughs> terrible, terrible metaphor, but <laughs> terrible so, model, too. <laughs> that, does that give you any calmness? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that actually segues very well into what I was going to ask you. You mentioned you de- designed work systems, but also. And this may be a two-part question. So you, I, what it sounds to me is the designing of the work systems, is, this is the outcome of that. But to start at the beginning, very high level, what would a company need to do to start going down this path? They'd have to start knowing their customers so incredibly well that they no longer categorize them. We tend to think of what products we can sell to people rather than what are the lives like. So when I go into a business, the first thing we do is create teams which become champions for different buyer nodes. So in seventh generation, which had 50 people, so it's a small business like many of your listeners, well, we grew it 35 to 65% a year doing all this. So it didn't stay small. It got bought by Unilever. But we started with having everyone in the organization on a team becoming a customer champion. So in seventh generation's case, they identified natural parents, people with children, new babies, particularly young children, and often pets that were worried about being exposed to toxins. 
We had another group that were chemically sensitive people. We had another group that what they called the deep greens. They really want an ecologically friendly planet and engagement with it. Everyone was out trying to understand what were their lives like, not what would they buy. This was not market research. What would they buy? Now, this awakens the interest in the lives of the people who count on you. It doesn't awaken your job description on delivering a product that somebody else sells. It gets everyone in a conscious and conscientious mode for the people who depend on you and decide whether you get to stay in business. And a whole year is done with that kind of work. People reporting, getting everyone in the organization to know all this. And it awakens will. It stirs up things. Oh, yeah, no, I I am one of those or my neighbor is. And not to project and summarize. and, And that takes a little work to teach people not to assume everyone's like you. If you get that going, now you have the field in which you can become better strategic thinkers. And I'm not talking about a strategic plan with money and all that. I'm talking about what is strategic for us to do? Where would we position ourselves? Even if we're a small, like I I live in Edmonds, which is just north of Seattle. We have a wonderful little shop called Manya V's. And Manya is a brilliant artist, a lot with jewelry and scarves. And she created an art gallery of wearable art and she wears it and everything she sends out has it. And she came to know first who the people were who loved what she did, but now she markets. And even during the recession, she had whole process designed to beat people to the curb with models, with people sending in, showing pictures of what they've just bought, how they're trying to. She had this whole interaction going, and so did the other members of her team. So all of that is much more how you bring about essence expression and how you help people get started. And it kept Manya doing extremely well. I continued to buy things from her through the entire pandemic. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Carol, once we finish the podcast, I'm sure there's going to be some folks that want to reach out to you. How do they reach you? I do a podcast myself called Business Second Opinion. That's one thing you can track if you want to only be on my mailing list. You'll get notices of that and what I'm doing. But I have a website, carolsanford.com. And my email is carol at carolsanford.com. It's all about me, right? (laughs) And so you can do that. I also have five award-winning books, 25 books, three of which have been bestsellers in the independent market. And then I have communities which people join, which are, if you want, each of these is a little deeper connection. But if you look at the bottom of carolsanford.com, it will take you to business events that I do or individual events for smaller entrepreneurs. There's a group in there for educators. How do you do all this in the world of education? And one specifically for women entrepreneurs. That'll be enough. You can find me. Yep. I saw all of that on your website. Thank you for mentioning it. You have a good day, Carol. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, Creating a Thriving Space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at denise at dcavirtual.com.